Good, good to see you this morning. We are in the uh, the last week of going together. So this has been six weeks that we have gone together. And what what we hope to have accomplished is that, number one, if you are a follower of Christ Jesus right now, that you know that you didn't get there by yourself. That someone, somehow, some way, uh, walked with you to Jesus, took you along for the ride. Um, it may, that person may not have been present on that moment that you trusted Christ or even been deeply part of a conversation that you had with the Lord about that, um, but, that but somebody went with you to Jesus. N- none of us go alone. It's just not what happens. Um, so by, by understanding that, then the second thing I, I hope that you've been able to glean from this is our responsibility as Christ followers. That that God has placed us in this spot in, in our world, we'll say. I mean, because, see, it's one thing. I mean, the Bible says to us at the end of Matthew, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, right? And for me, it's like the world's a big place. But I, I think that the way we're supposed to interpret that is, is to say to go into our world, your world, wherever that might be. And so... So your world, I mean, it, in, in Acts 1.8, it talks about that we're to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and for those of us that aren't from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, you know, we don't kind of grasp what that means. But see, I think it means like this, that you're to go to your family, you're to go to your friends, you're to go to your work relationships. You expand this until your world is reached. And so I, I pray that that is something that you've been able to kind of grasp from this going together, that I have a responsibility to my world. I've got that. And frankly, if I don't go to them, who's going to? And it's my world. I pray, too, that you've understood this very simple statement of who Jesus is. And, I, and today I'm not going to go over that. I just wanted you to see it again. We've, we've had it up there for six weeks. But the idea is to grasp the simple statement of who Jesus is. Because frankly, the world talks about Jesus in so many strange ways. I mean, the truth of the matter, however, it's the same thing that has been talked about even since when he was alive. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some men say you're a prophet. Some say you're, you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. You know, we, we have this all sorts of wrong communications about Jesus. And, and people need to hear the truth from those who are Christ's followers. And so I hope that you grasp that. I hope also that you kind of learn that, that sharing the gospel with someone is not some task that is reserved for seminary grads or pastors. or it, It's for all of us. In fact, we we went over a a simple transitional statement, we called it, about how we turn everyday conversations that we have, whether we talk about uh, an unlikely IU football team win yesterday or the the amazing amount of water that we had yesterday in the rain. and, And all of us had those conversations this morning that are absolutely conversations that have no worth to them. Think about that for a moment. 
the conversations that you had this morning that meant nothing. I had them. I only had a couple of conversations in which I was able to glean prayer needs from somebody, uh, other things. And, and I'm not saying because I'm, I'm really good at this, but here's what I want you to recognize. When someone then comes to you and says in the middle of those worthless conversations, they begin to say to you, I have a struggle. I've got a problem. I have a need. It's, it's the door opening to the gospel where we say, I don't know exactly what you're experiencing. But I've experienced something like that. Can I share with you what's really helped me through the struggles of life? And when they say yes, they have given you permission to tell them about Jesus Christ. We walked through after that how to do uh, a three circles diagram. It's, um, it's a, a very simple explanation of the gospel that talks about the brokenness in every one of us and in our world. And, and golly, we don't have to look far to know our world is broken. Everybody has got guilt and shame over things that they have done. We recognize brokenness. And Jesus Christ is the answer to brokenness. And so we walked through how to be able to do that. We, we talked about how, how we respond and we, we ask them to respond to that gospel. Where do you find yourself on the three circles? Would you be willing to ask Jesus to fix your brokenness right now? Okay, so we went through all of that. Today, I just want to remind you who you are. My brothers and my sisters, you are child of the King. You are a member not only of the body of Christ, but of the army of Christ. And we have a responsibility that goes far beyond what we do for a living. It goes far beyond the circle of influence that we have as a parent and a grandparent child and a friend. We've got a task to do. And today, I, I just want to talk about what that might look like, about, about how the early church turned the world upside down, and about how we are called to do the same thing today. Can, can I remind you about the early church? Who, who were the guys that Jesus chose to be his followers? I, I, I mean, right, Jesus hand-selected from a hundred or so, maybe more than that, people to follow him. Who did he pick? How many, how many guys were the priests who already knew all the scriptures? None of them. How many people were successful business people? None of them. He picked. He picked a guy who was a, in the rebellion, so he was a radical. He was heading in absolutely directions that were attempting to undermine everything that the Romans were doing. It, he, he would have been breaking the law. All the, he, he picked somebody broken and wounded. He picked a, a bunch of fishermen who are they're just workers. 
they, they didn't know the Scriptures. They didn't understand the workings of Judaism. They, they didn't know people well. Why didn't they know people? Because they're out on the lake all the time. They were isolated individuals. When you walk through who Jesus chose to follow Him, they're nobodies. I don't know how that makes you feel. I'm a nobody. When Jesus called me to follow Him, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. I'd spent time in jail. I'd walked from one job to another, to another, to another. I am still that same nobody that has just been claimed by the living God to serve Him. That's you. Your story is not that much different. None of us in this room are kings and queens and princes and princesses apart from the claim of God on our lives that bestows on us a kingdom that we were not born into. We were invited to join and we responded. Yes, Jesus. So Jesus takes these twelve that He knew would dwindle to eleven. You, you get that, right? That all of Christianity began with a group of eleven. Status, Christian statisticians that attempt to kind of figure out how the church grew in the early part of Christianity they believe from church tradition in its earliest days and, and the, the church in the early... It's, it's not until the church really gets established that we ever began to count anything. That, that we, we ever began to go, well, how many were there today? Because frankly, they thought Jesus was coming back so soon they weren't going to take time to count. But, but what they believe from the things that we read through Scripture and the advances that they have outside of Scripture through other recordings of scribes and things that did this, that the, that the church grew to about 500,000 in less than a year. 500,000 people that started with Zach posted some statistics on Facebook, and uh, the statistics were very, very simple. If we were going to impact the lostness of Lawrence County by 1%, we would need to see 400 people saved. 400. Now, I, can, can I tell you how I am such a person of little faith? Because when I heard that, I thought, oh, that ain't happening. And I had, I had to go to God as I was working on this message this morning and say, God, I am so sorry. That they went to 500,000 in a year starting with 11. Well, there's more than 11. And we're not looking for 500,000. We're looking to see our friends and our family and our neighbors we're looking to see people come to a relationship with Christ not because it makes churches grow because it saves their souls 
So we looked at that early church, and what I want to do this morning is I want to take you on just a little survey of the book of Acts. I I just want to walk you through uh, some scriptures there. We're not going to be able to go deeply into all of that. There isn't enough time to do that uh, on a Sunday morning, but I I just, I I pray that you can get the flavor that these 11 nobodies turned the world upside down down and so can we Father I pray Lord that you would sink deeply into our spirits what you did through those group of 11 guys and God might, might, we, might we be reminded that these 11 guys doubted that these 11 guys wavered all the time that they were just like us. God, might we catch that? Might you show us that? Reveal to us what, what I can't say, I, what I can't speak or what I won't speak. I don't know how that might be, God, but you communicate your word to your people. And Lord, don't, don't let us just hear this stuff and walk out of here and make no changes in our lives. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for anybody. Lord, you, you've called us to be doers of the Word, James says. To be, to be doers. God, might, might we recognize that, that obedience is absolutely the key to Christianity. It was obedience to respond to you when your Holy Spirit called. It's obedience to respond to you when you say, go. Please, God. Lord, we, we sang a song about your, your Spirit breathing on us, giving us life. I, I, I think, Father, that the church at times in America is comatose. That, that we hear all this good stuff about you, but, but so few are willing to respond to do it. God, for the sake of Lawrence County, for the sake of the children that, that are part of our families, for our, our spouses, for our friends, for the sake of those who today, right now, are, are simply going through the motions of life thinking that they have experienced it all. Yet should today be the end of their life, they go to hell. Please, God, help us. Breathe life into us. Make these dead bones to life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you if you take your Bible and open up, we're, we're just going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to start at Acts chapter 2. Uh, um, because we won't have time to, to read everything, I'm just going to bring us up to date on, on the story uh, of what's going on as we approach this. We're going to start with verse... Uh, 41 in chapter 2, but, but we got some, you know, what's going on here in this story. Um, the, the, the disciples, these few guys, um, can, can, I mean, can you imagine what it's like, right? There's no Bibles. There, there, there's nobody to say, here's what you do. And I love the book of Acts because it is brand new Christians saying, wow, we're Christians. What does that mean? What do we do? 
What's the next steps? How do we live this out? And the Holy Spirit always answers those kinds of questions. The Holy Spirit is always there to fill in the blanks in people's lives who will look and seek for that answer. And so here they are going through. They, they have been in the upper room, and, and they are there praying, and, and the, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and it says as if tongues of fire are over each one of their heads, and they begin to speak, and people listening to that, according to Scripture, when they're listening, they're hearing people speak in their own language. This is, this is not a, a place where they're speaking in tongues. It is an interpretation of the hearer of what's happening, that everybody hears in their own language, the Bible says. And so other people walk by, and they're seeing the folks that are in this room, and they're saying, well, they must be hitting the liquor early today, because look at what's going on there. And Peter, the guy who denied Jesus, just a little bit earlier, not once, not twice, but three times, afraid to say anything about Jesus at all, now stands before a crowd and pours out the gospel to people that he probably knows, in some cases, many that he has never seen or heard. Peter becomes very brave. He tells them about the one they crucified. I wonder how many people in that crowd were there that screamed out, crucify him. Crucify him. You know what? I think I would have cried that out. At a point in my life when I didn't know Christ, I would have argued that he didn't exist. I would have argued that he was just a man. And there are a lot of us in this place. If you think you were born into Christianity, you don't understand the Scriptures. All of us were far from God. All of us. And there was a time and a place in which that changed. For Peter, as he stands before these people, He is reminding them of their choice to have the Son of Man killed. But he continues that conversation. And he tells them that you can be saved from this generation of wickedness. And then verse 41 says, here's the response. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people, 3,000 people were added to them, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. There is this instantaneous change in the hearts of 3,000 people. You recognize when we think about this. Do you know how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people? I don't either. But it would be a long time. 
I've baptized, I, I, I think the most at any one time, I think it was like 16 people. And, and my shoulder was a little worn out at the end. And here's, here's what I get. There was a group of people, they were all sold out. They were, the 11 had become more than that because there were more in the upper room. There, there had been this, this progression of growth. And then all of a sudden, there became 3,000. And it says those 3,000 were baptized. And that means that all of us are baptizing people. That's the only way you pull this off in a day. The only way. The whole church was involved to reach 3,000 people. Now, why do I say that? When you speak in front of a crowd in Jerusalem, you're not able to find a place in order to speak to three, and, and you know there's more than 3,000. There were those who, who did not respond. You can't do that. So how did it happen? The, the church went into the crowd, and there would have been a, a group of people here listening to somebody, and a group of people here listening to somebody. And at the end, when all was done, about 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Something has happened in the American church. And that is those of us that sit in a seat have made the responsibility of evangelism, of, of being the one to tell others to be the guy that sits in an office, that, that speaks on a Sunday morning, that is part of a staff. We have called that others have to be doing this task. It can't be so. It wasn't so in Jerusalem in the first century. It was the whole church recognized their responsibility. Every single one of them. I mean, is there somebody that says, I'm not going to do that? I suppose. Statistical evidence is overwhelming, however, in the American church right now. Almost all of us will never, ever lead someone to Jesus. Number one, that is disobedience. Number two, it is sin. They're your grandkids. They're your friends. It's people you see at work, and you like them. You care for them but you don't care enough for them to tell them about Christ. Say it ain't so, church. The early church moved in one day to increase in size by 3,000. What would happen if we increased by 400? That's the 1%, just 1% of the lostness in Lawrence County. What if 400 people came here next Sunday morning that are not here today. What would we do in the nursery? What, 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 would, what would we do for chairs? What, what would we do? That's what the early church was thinking about now on that second day. They didn't expect 3,000 people to come to Jesus. I'm just telling you. They didn't. We don't either. Now, the difference would be is they were working toward it. 
Because if we were working toward it, I would hear that bit of, of a hum that goes on saying, what are we going to do to be prepared for this? Um, yesterday, uh, a group of, of folks gathered together to decorate the church. They were anticipating, what do we do? Christmas is coming. And so they worked toward preparing for that. If 400 people are coming to Christ through the efforts of this body of believers, we need to start thinking about what we're going to do to be prepared and how we respond. And let me tell you, you won't prepare for that if you're not part of the army that's going out and talking. Because you'll say, that'll never happen. That's not working. That's not going to be. The early church continued to do what they do. In fact, if we just drop down to verse 46 for a moment, we're, we're, we're not going to have not going to be able to read through all of this it talks about in those verses that they they sold all the extra stuff that they had and they they gave it to the disciples in order to further the work of the ministry because all of a sudden uh which is crazy but but churches cost to operate no matter when that was happening and in the early days as they began to try to have money to be able to give with folks in need uh, and to be able to supply for the need of the church people were selling money and giving that to to the folks that needed it. And then it says in verse 46, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And watch this. Every day the Lord added to them those who were being So I I, I just kind of want you to to get this, that the Bible says every day somebody's coming to Jesus, which means every day people were sharing Jesus. Most spots in America today, the only time you're hearing Jesus proclaimed is on a Sunday morning in a place like this. I can remember a deacon a long, long time ago when I was first, I was, had first come to Christ and I was inviting people that didn't know Christ to church. And in fact, uh, this, this deacon didn't want these people to come because they didn't know how to act in church. Well, dude, they'd never been to church. How are they going to know how to act? And when I began to talk about what we needed to go do to go to the people that didn't have Jesus, he said, if they want Jesus, they can come here. We talk about him every Sunday. Do you guys hear how horrible that sounds in the ears of the living God? Because people haven't been called to come, we have been sent to them. And, and we got we got to start landing on some obedient spots and say, yep, I'm going to go. I'm going to do that. For six weeks, we've, five weeks, we've tried to train you to do that. In fact, if you've been here on some of those Sundays, you do recognize you're going to be held accountable by God for what you've heard. 
what you know you're supposed to do. So we, we see in the early church that the, not only did they have this one event where 3,000 folks came to Jesus, but then every day people are being added to their numbers. So that this is a continual event. That These are things that are going on in their daily lives, just like it's supposed to go with us. Sharing Christ is not supposed to be a big deal, honestly. It's supposed to be just who we are, what we do. It's part of our lifestyle. And it, it, it needs to be a second nature thing, which is why we kept saying to you, you need to practice this, practice this, repeat it, repeat it, make it comfortable part of your conversation so that it's easy for you to go from an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation. If, if we, I, I'd like you to kind of then just go over to chapter 4 with me. Um, th- this is, um, in, in this particular story where we're going through here, the the disciples are continually functioning out of the temple. Now, you know why? Because they didn't know what to do, right? Uh, They're they're brand new believers, and so what do we do? Well, we're going to continue to kind of be Jewish because we don't know what else to do, um, and we're going to figure this out. So they're going to the temple around the time of prayer, the Bible says, and this is Peter and John. They walk up to this gate called, the, the gate is called beautiful, and the way the descriptions are, you'd say it was beautiful. It was just this ornate gate. And, and what happened was is that there were people that they would bring, family members and friends would bring, and, and lay by the temple um, so that they could get handouts. Um, in Indianapolis, we see it on almost every intersection nowadays where people are standing at the intersection looking for handouts. Now, it's a little different than the folks in Indianapolis, however, because most of these people are are totally incapacitated. They can't. They th- this guy can't stand. Um, he is is he is there looking for help because it's the only way that this guy survives. And it says that he's later on. We read about him and we find out he's 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 older. He's he's been doing this for years and years and years and years that he probably knows the face of every person that comes through the temple, and they all know him. And as he is laying there, he says to Jane, or Peter and um, John, he, he asks for help. Alms is the word they use, alms. And, and Peter checks his jeans pockets. Ah, I don't have anything. But moved by the Spirit, Peter says, silver and gold have I not. But what I have, what I do have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Now, I I want you to kind of stop for just a second. The, The power of the Spirit to heal is real and applicable today. I say that because I've seen it happen through me. But it doesn't happen all the time. It's not, it's not something I can turn on and turn off. But what I do have for people is I have the answer to their brokenness. I have all that they need. Because even someone like Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, still had to die again, and eternity was beckoning. So 
So even if I can raise somebody from the dead, but if I can't, if I can't forgive them of their sin, if I can't give them a surety and peace of eternity, I can't do that, but the Holy Spirit can. And interestingly, interestingly enough, He has given us that ability to share Him with others. And so Peter, and, Peter says to the guy, Dude, I don't have any money, but here, stand up and walk. And of course the guy gets up. And he's, Peter and John go into the temple, and the, and, and, and the, and the guy starts to follow the, him into the temple, which would have been the very first time he would have been in the temple in his entire life. Because when you were hurt or broken, you, you weren't allowed in. And so he would have walked into the temple in amazement of this, this, this huge structure and and people were going, wait, this the what? How'd this happen? And Peter begins to speak. And he tells them about Christ again. Now, I, I, I just want you to, to kind of see what happens because um, they... They get arrested. Um, they have to stand before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin say to them, Don't you dare speak in the name of this man again. Or else we'll put you on the cross. Just words, we put Jesus on the cross. But look at verse 3 in, in, in chapter 4. We're just going to look at two verses just to kind of... It brings the conclusion of what this is. It says, So they, and this is the, the leaders of the temple, they seized them and put them in custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. Okay, do you look at this and go, hokey smokes, look what's happening here. I mean, this is amazing. It is amazing. It can't be done through human beings except for the Holy Spirit doing something on top of that. It's the obedience of a man, a couple of guys, to go and to do what God has called them to do, to say what God has called them to say, to be willing to stand in, front, in the face of opposition where they're about to be crucified. Uh, that's what they think. Trust, that's what they, don't you think that's what they think? They killed Jesus. If they killed Jesus, what are they going to do to us? And they said, we don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We've got to do what God says. 5,000 people. They shared Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection despite the opposition. Why don't we share the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Prison? Beatings? You'll lose your job? Maybe. Nowadays. You work in the public circumstance. Teachers have to be careful of how they do it. My daughter's a teacher. I have been invited into her, into her class um, to, to speak to children. Um, and, and she would always say to me, oh, Daddy, <laughs> Daddy, you, you need to be careful. You, you can't. You can't do this. Now, if they ask you a question, you can say what you can answer the question. 
so we, we have to follow the laws of the land, which is what we're required to do. But tell me. I mean, after service, if you want to tell me why you don't share Jesus, make sure it's a good reason, though. I mean, one that is actually a reason other than you just don't or that you're afraid because of how someone will think of you. But isn't that the reason for most of us? We think someone won't like us. We think they'll think something bad about us. And I, I hope that you just thought what I thought. That is a really bad excuse. Because every one of us, in so many areas of our life, we would say, I don't care what somebody thinks about me. I mean, somebody just cut me off. I, was, uh, I had to come to Bloomington <laughs> through that construction area, right? And I got cut off by a guy. He didn't care what I thought about him, obviously. And all of us do that in some way, shape, or form. But somehow we let this pressure of telling Jesus be something that, it, that embarrasses us, that causes us to stop. 5,000. Now, I, I, I want you to go to Acts 17. There's so many other areas that we could look at. Um, and I, honestly, it's one of those things as I do this that I could have, there were spots that I wanted to do and I thought I can't do that because we're going to be here too long and people get mad. Um, in, in this particular passage, um, in the beginning of, verse, of chapter 17, verse 1, it says Paul is on his way to Thessalonica. Um, Thessalonica is a city, a, a Greek city, um, Paul has now been, uh, has, has, was Saul. Uh, Christ came to him, totally transformed his life, and all of a sudden this guy is on fire for Jesus in an instant, which I get it because that's what happened to me. I, I went from being a pagan agnostic uh, to someone who was willing to do anything that the Christ called me to do, anything. And which, which is why I... I after three years of figuring Christianity out and doing anything I could, anything that I was allowed to do in the little church that I was a part of, um, I did. Um, then quit my job, went to seminary, uh, worked in the cafeteria there at the seminary until God called me to do, uh, to pastor for the very first time. I never, I, I never even sent out resumes to try to find pastors. It was always, I was just waiting on God to do those things. Because God is like that. And and so we, we've got these, the Apostle Paul who is traveling and, and, and he has been, when he, when he gets to uh, Thessalonica, he begins to explain in the Greek, he always went to, um, excuse me, to the, um, to the synagogues first and, and, and he would go there and he would explain about the Messiah. Now they knew about the Messiah, but they only knew what they knew. They, they, they didn't know what they didn't know. And so Paul would go deeper and to show them according to Scripture how the Messiah had to die and how he had to suffer how God raised him from the dead and how this Messiah was Jesus Christ himself. And then it says in, in verse 4, it says, Then some of them were persuaded, and, and I, I don't have that, that one on here, but then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks. Some of them, as, as we share with people, some people are going to say no, 
Some people are going to say yes, and some people are going to say maybe. I'll think about it later. Remember that from last week or two weeks ago whenever we talked about that. But, but my reminder to you is when you have the guts to share Jesus, be ready for a yes. Because even your worst explanation of the gospel may end up being blessed by the God of the universe. And Because I, I, I shared that story with you. That's what happened to me, the very first person that I told about Christ. It was like, that was stupid, but they believed. I know, I'm shocked too. Um, so verse, verse um, 5 then, we're going to do 5 and 6. But the Jews, and these are the Jews in the temple, in the synagogue, became jealous and they brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house. Jason's house is where they were staying while they were in Thessalonica. They attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, and this is finding uh, Paul and his friends, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, look at what they shout, look at what they say about the Christians. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. we hit chapter 17 in the book of Acts. They've turned the world upside down. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying this. Go ahead to the next screen, please. Every Christian is either a missionary or Definitions are important. We think of missionaries as people that have been ordained, been called out and sent from a church. That we dole out a little bit of money to them and they are missionaries as they go. It's a wrong definition. It's not a scriptural definition. Missionary is a, it's a verb, not a noun. Missionary is what we do. It's being missional as we go. It's carrying the gospel as we go to work, to school, to wherever we go. We carry Christ with us. And Spurgeon in the 19th century said, you're, you're either a, Christ, a missionary or you're an imposter. You're not really a Christian. I, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know if he's right. But he might be. I'm highly concerned for a person that has never ever shared Christ with someone of how they are fully believers in Christ. I think maybe we desire to be a believer in Christ. But I'm concerned. Why am I concerned? I have the privilege to stand before you and to look in your faces every Sunday morning for the last two months, three months, whatever that's been. And my prayer is that when I get to heaven, I see your face there. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, Jesus will wipe away every tear. And if you are not there, I will weep. It's from my heart, I shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I 
given you opportunity to respond. And if you're an imposter, if you just look like a Christian, please stop it. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Be obedient to His call on your life. Does our world need to be turned upside down? (laughs) It's been turned upside down over the last five or six years, I think, hasn't it? Uh, It used to be marriage was pretty well defined. It turned upside down. It started years ago, I believe, in the way words began to be redefined. You say, well, what do you mean? Do you know what the word decadent means? We attach it to chocolate. And it's really good. Decadent is not a word that means that. Decadent was a word that meant as bad as it can be. And turned upside down. We're seeing it happen in so many areas of our culture and society. And friends, we need to turn it back around. Our world has already been turned upside down to the negative. It now needs to be turned upside down How do we do that? By looking at our world. And I, I don't, your world's different than mine. I run in different circles than you do. And isn't that awesome that we do? Because what it means is, is that we cover thousands of people, just us. Thousands. Our world needs to be turned upside down. I don't think any of us would, would disagree with that. I, I, I want to want you to think about this too. Who's God used? God chooses to use the lowly and the meek and the weak, and He ignores those that are high and exalted, those that 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 are high and exalted in their own mind. If you go through Scripture, you don't see hot shots. You, you, you don't see um, leaders and kings. And you, don't, you don't, even through the, the sweep of Christianity, you just don't see that. You see regular working folk, folk whose lives have been turned upside down by the gospel and have been obedient. Is that you? Because that's who Jesus uses. I think that's good news because I think that's us. I think it's every one of us. I, I just have a, one final question for you as we bring going together to a close. Will you go to your world and turn it upside down? Will you do your part? All throughout going together, we haven't asked you to talk to a stranger. I haven't asked you to knock on a door of a neighbor you don't know. I haven't asked you to do anything, in fact, like that. But simply, as you talk to people that you know on a regular basis, share Christ with them when the door opens up. Will you do that? 
Obedience is the key, my friend. For some of us in this room, we recognize we do not have a relationship with Christ. That as Spurgeon said, we're an imposter. On this day, Sunday before Thanksgiving, 2017, would you ask Jesus to heal your brokenness? Would you ask Him to become part of your life? Would you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that God raised Him from the dead? dead? It's not any more complex than that. Although right now the enemy is trying to tell you it is. The enemy is saying there's got to be more to it. That doesn't sound like it's enough. Isn't it just like the enemy to try to steal simplicity of what God wants? Father God, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for opportunity we have um, to, to be yours. Um, God, as we sit here in this place and no one has come in and uh, tried to harm us, nobody has done anything in any way that should cause us to be fearful, and yet many of us are. We, we are are just not sure about so many things. God, I pray that we might trust You. That we might just try to say to ourselves that, look, I don't know much, but what I do know is that God is good and I'm going to trust Him. And that when He says I'm to go into all the world, and as I go into my world, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to see what God does as, as I do that. God, I I pray for our friends and our family. Lord, all of us need forgiveness because we've not been as open as we should be. We know the truth of life. Forgive us that we have kept that a secret in some some ways, that we've kind of not looked for ways to share it. We've looked for ways to not. We can talk about sports, and we can talk about weather, and we can talk about this, and we can talk about that. Help us to seek ways to talk about you. Lord, for that person that's here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, they're far from you. They feel hurting right now. They're under the weight of sin that they can't quite figure out why. They recognize they're not as bad as some of the other people they know. Why should they feel so bad over these things? God, might you, might you help them to recognize that all of us have sinned and fall short? There's no one that is not. Might you help them to see that you will wash away the hurt? Might they see that when you went to Calvary's cross fully carrying every ounce of power that the God of the universe had, You didn't exert that power so that you would die a sinless death on their behalf. And that you being raised from the dead is the proof that you are God, not just some guy. And I thank you.
by your spirit, by your power, breathe in life into these dead bones. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our, our worship team is going to come. And during this time, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what you need to do. Um, if, if you need Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't, you don't have to come forward to do that. There is no magic formula about how this happens. Um, and so there, there's so many ways that you can go about this. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about it further, if you want somebody to pray along with you, I'm willing to do that. Uh, but you could grab probably just about anybody else in the room other than yourself and, and be able to have more information about how that's done. If you have a particular issue that's going on in your life that you need someone to pray with you about, uh, whether it's, it's something you're struggling with or brokenness that is happening in your life, uh, an illness that is, that is on you, don't be afraid to ask somebody to pray with you. I mean, don't be afraid to grab a hold of somebody and, and just say, look, would you pray with me? I'm willing to do that. But I, I encourage you to, 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 to grab somebody else. If what I've said to you has made sense at all about the lostness in your family, in your circle of influence, in your world, would you pray for those people? Would you pray that God would send somebody for them? Because that's how they are going to hear is when somebody arrives and shares with them the gospel. Would you pray that over those people? And then as you pray for them, would you say, God, if you send me, I'll go? Let's stand together. Call out the dry bones, come alive.